Okay. Uh, I want to explain. Uh, last week I had gone into very interesting ideas. And I want to, to this week just to elaborate on some of them. And next week, um, I really want to, uh, you know, bring uh, really what the emphasis of all of this was actually is the goal of it is to understand, you know, uh, why is this happening in terms of what seems to be happening in terms of the preparation of the Messianic light, which is really next week. The whole concept of Mashiach, who he is, what he has to go through, and the same thing with Klai Yisrael, and what really begins the Messianic era. But this week, I, I want to demonstrate certain ideas which uh, are really very important. Some actually, some ideas which will be startling. In any case, so what I want to do is um, uh, just go. Uh, there's certain ideas I had mentioned, but I want to uh, uh, mention them just to get to certain issues which I feel is important, which demonstrate uh, what the concerns of the Rebbeinu seems to be. Okay, uh, we start with Adam Harishan, because Adam Harishan was basically supposed to ignore the advice of the Sultan, we know that, and as a result of that, he would have been Mashiach, and um, of course that would have been the beginning of, that would have been the redemption. Had he waited till Shabbos, he was created Friday, about 12, 1 o'clock. Had he waited till, fr uh, till uh, Friday evening, then uh, to, to resist the temptations of the Nochosh, the snake, which is of course the Sultan, then he would have been Mashiach, and uh, the uh, redemption would have started, he would have had the Orhagonas and so on. That's why Adam is Adam Moshe Mashiach? Adam Moshe. Adam David Mashiach. Yeah, that's right. However, Adam failed. <clears throat> I'm, I'm just touching on, I'm not going into the whole thing. So instead, what, instead of Adam Arishan ignoring the Sultan, he bought into his argument that he could be like God, which means if he eats from the tree, then he will be Vizim Kilokim, which is, of course, the Nochash told Chava. He bought into that argument, and of course, what he fundamentally did is he gave a Mokim uh, a place for the existence of uh, evil, the Sultan, Specifically, the power of the Sultan to dominate reality, uh, certainly the reality that we have, the physical reality. And that power is called the Zoyama. The Zoyama means the pollution or defilement uh, or contamination of the Sultan. It's a force which he can exude and that can control the physical universe. There are many manifestations of the, of the Zoyama and the Bria. I once mentioned a long time ago, one of them is the concept of entropy, where all things decompose. And that is really Zoyama of the Sutton, because the Sutton is a demolition expert. He only knows to destroy. And then, of course, that concept of Zoyama is that all living things decompose, all energy systems uh, get lower, and they distribute whatever, and so on. That's called high entropy. Anyway. Uh, so that's what he did. Therefore, he created two tasks which he originally did not have. The first task he had in the beginning was what's called Hispashtis uh, Kedusha, to bring down holiness into the world. He would have observed the mitzvah, which is not to eat from the tree, 
Uh, the Satan was external to the physical universe in many ways, uh, certainly to the body of man. And uh, his job was called Hispashtis Kedusha, the uh, distribution of Kedusha, to spread Kedusha, to bring it down. Instead, what he did is he introduced, not, not only did he not bring down Kedusha, but he brought down Zayama, which is the Tumor, or the force, or the tentacles of the Satan. So now the Bria, the creation, became contaminated. So therefore, that created another job. That created the job of removing the contamination, which is the Zoyama, to remove that. And then once you remove that, then you could bring down the Kedusha, obviously. You can't bring Kedusha in a place that's Tome. So first you have to remove the contamination of the Satan, whatever the force is. Uh, and once you do that, then you can bring in the holiness uh, and so on. So that's a second concept called kfiyasura, to subdue or subjugate evil uh, by removing it, and then you can bring down the Kedusha. So therefore, Adam Rishon by his sin created two different tasks. Like I said, one is to bring down Kedusha, but now the task is to remove tumor or contamination, or Zoyama, pollution, whatever, and then you can do the Kedusha. Because of that, because there are now two tasks in the universe, in Oilam Hazer, uh, this was become, became obviously very important, and therefore that gives rise to the two Mashiachim, two Messiahs. One is Mashiach ben Yosef. Uh, he's the one who deals with the Zayama. He removes the contamination of the Bria, as we see, which we'll see uh, in terms of Yosef. And that's why we have a Neshama called Mashiach ben Yosef. His job is to remove the Zayama, to remove evil, corruption, uh, from the creation, from the, this world. And then the job of the Mashiach ben David is then, once it's been removed, he can now bring down the Kedusha. So therefore, that gave rise to two Mashiachim, two Messiahs, two Mashiachs. Mashiach ben Yosef, as I said, and Mashiach ben David. Yeah, these ideas we know, I've certainly said them, uh, you know, many times in the past. Uh, now, therefore, Adam failed. And I once mentioned the Vosham gave mankind another 2,000 years to try to do the job. Adam um, failed and so on. Kain Hevel failed, whatever. And therefore mankind now had, all of mankind could now do the job to remove the Zayama and also to bring down the Kedusha. Therefore the job of these two jobs were given over to mankind, which is called Minho Anushi, man, the, the uh, human species. Uh, which, uh, and therefore, everybody was a Masakin. Everybody could do the Tikkun. There was no such thing as the Jews or the Jewish nation. You didn't need them, because all mankind could be a Masakin, you see. And that concept where you're Masakin, which means you can re rectify or correct the universe uh, from its contamination, <clears throat> and also to bring down the Kedusha, that job is not called Jew or Hebrew, it is called Israel. That's what Israel really is. Therefore, Adam Marishim was a Israel, but he was not Jewish. Because the job was not given over to Jews at that time. It was given over to mankind, which makes a lot of sense. You know, what are you creating people that can't do anything? What's the point? And the answer is, of course, they could do. Okay, after 2,000 years, they failed. And they first you had the marble, the flood, which destroyed the whole world. Noah. Then you had the door, uh, what do you call, Haflogah. You had the generation that wanted a war with God, 
And of course, that was terrible. Finally, Avram Avinu shows up. He's the first Jew. In fact, he's not even called a Jew. He's called a Hebrew. Aver, which probably means from across the woody river, because he came from Iraq. Yeah, Iraq. Uh, or Kazdim, or of the Chaldees. And he was called a Hebrew. Okay? And therefore, the job of Tikkun now became a Jewish enterprise, Hebrews. And of course, later, the word Hebrew became Yehudi, because Judah took over that, because the ten tribes were lost, and therefore the Jews became known as Yehuda, Yehudi, or Jew. That's where the word Jews, uh, Jews come from, and so on. In any case, then you had the others, the patriarchs. You had Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Uh, you had these three, and they have, uh, represent certain enormous spiritual forces, without getting into that. Avram Avina, we know, represents Chesed, which is the attribute of I hate the word kindness, but it's the attribute of giving unconditionally. And then you had the attribute of gvura, which is justice or din, which means you, in order to get, there are conditions attached. And if you fulfill the conditions, you get this, the, the, the kedusha, the holiness. Then there's a middle called feres, because the world cannot exist with only uh, chesed, whatever reason, called namnik sufa, and it cannot exist with gvura only, or else the world will never last. Therefore, there's a meter called Ferris, which is a sort of balancing between them. And the one who represents the middle, which is called Ferris, of course, is Yaakov. Now, I did say also, very important, most people do not realize that, that Ramchal says that Ferris is a middle. You have Chesed on one side, Gavur on the other side. Then you have Ferris, which is a balancing between the two in the middle. And every middle, obviously, has a right and a left because it's a middle. So the right side, the one who represents the force of the right side, which is Tferis on the Amin, <coughs> is Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, Yaakov. And therefore his job was what's called Yeshivi Holam, sit and learn, bring down the Kedusha. The left side of Tferis, which of course is on the side of Gvura, that side, was Esau. Most people don't realize that, but as I once said, Esau himself is an of. I once mentioned that the uh, Medrash says that had Esau done his job, which we know he didn't, he would have had six Shvatim. Amazing. Six tribes. And Yaakov would have had six tribes. Split right down the middle. Because they were both equal. In fact, you didn't know the difference between them, as Rashi says, until they were like uh, 13 years old. Or even 15, whatever. You couldn't tell the difference. They were twins. And they both had this incredible behavior. They looked like Iluyim brilliant students that were headed for big big things in Ruchnius. Okay? So therefore you had Yaakov and Esau. Yaakov's job was his spashtis kedusha, bring down holiness. And Esau's job was kfir surah, to subjugate, subjugate evil. And that's why he was known as an ishsote, a man of the field. Because the way you subjugate evil is you go into the territory of evil, you remain righteous, and therefore you can therefore diminish the power of evil. That's, that's the way it works and so on. Anyway, that's why Esau was called Ishsadeh, the man of the field. He would go into the world, subdue evil by being remaining righteous, and he would then take away all the power of the snake, the sultan, and he would kill the sultan. That's why, by the way, the angel of Esau is the sultan. That is his angel, because in order to subdue and destroy the sultan, you are connected to the sultan. You see, so obviously the connection is where that if you resist the temptations of the sultan, he dies. 
the Sutton literally dies. And therefore, Esav is an off, a patriarch, with that incredible ability. There's obviously a great more to say. Uh, for those who would like to really follow the whole thing, uh, I now have uh, the tapes, another 109 tapes, from 32 to 48 is the whole series of Yaakov and Esav. If you really want to go into how the psukim, the narrative itself, indicates f uh, uh, an enormous amount of ideas, how each posuk reveals two stories, the upper story, which is the obvious, and the secret story, the hidden story, which is all about Yaakov and Esav and of. And I think I answered like 156 questions. Once you understand this, yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Uh, once you understand this whole uh, Hanocho, the whole concept of what's going on. Uh, fine, so therefore we now understand. And therefore what makes sense, of course, is since Yaakov is an of, he gets to marry who? You know, he gets to marry Rochel. Uh, you know, um, and, and Esav, he gets to marry Leah because they are the perfect matches, consorts, as, as I say, uh, uh, matches to these two sides. You see, so the, these uh, Rochel and Leah are the matches to, of course, Esav. And that's really what it, what it should have been. Obviously what happened is uh, it failed. Esav became a Russia. That's he, and he had Bechira. Never think that he had no Bechira, no free will. Esav had total free will. He became a Russia, whatever. As powerful as he is, he's still subject to the Eitzahara. So he became a Russia, and then of course he sold his birthright to uh, Yaakov with the sale of the birthright. And the question then is, of course, so what does that mean? You know, so it appears as if he was no longer Masakin. He's an Ov, and an Ov is a Masakin. He can correct the creation. But once he gave it away, it would appear that he's no longer Masakin, that he cannot do Tikkun anymore. Okay, so this obviously is a tremendous uh, consequence of, of the whole thing. Now, we then again meet... From that point, he's not Jewish anymore. Before, he's Jewish, it, probably. Yeah, yeah, he certainly was Jewish, yes. But from the time he sold his birthright, it appears that he was neither Jewish, and he certainly couldn't do Tikkun. That's what it would appear. But things changed, which is interesting. We know the story of Yaakov and Esav, right? When Yaakov, uh, Yitzchak was very old, right? He was very old, and he wanted to give the uh, blessings to Esau, right? And of course, um, instead Yaakov comes in, the whole story, and takes the blessings from Yitzchak. Uh, in a certain sense, Yaakov, of course, deceived uh, of uh, Yitzchak through the coaxing, coaxing of his mother, Rivka. Anyway, we know the story. So it wound up that Yitzchak gave the blessings uh, to, to Yaakov. We also know that if you see that, <clears throat> that Yitzchok wanted to give it to Esau. In fact, he told him, hey, you go out, get me some great stuff, steaks, venison, whatever, and uh, I will eat and I will bless you. And when you look at the blessings that he gave y y uh, Yaakov, those obviously are the blessings he would have given uh, Esau. They're all material blessings, if you take a look at them. Why? Because uh, Yitzchok knew that Esau was on the side of Ben Yosef, which is Gvura, the Gvura of Tferes, which is to subdue evil. So all the blessings are to be materially wealthy and to subdue or channel the physicality of the world into 
the Rebbeinu Shalom. And that would have subdued the Satan and his whole power, the Zoyamo, the force of uh, contamination, pollution of the Zoyamo, of, of the Satan, would have collapsed. But instead, Yitzchak wound up going, giving it to Yaakov. Because once we know Asa failed, that side of Tferes needed somebody to bear it. You, you need somebody. So who took it over? Yaakov. So Yaakov did piggyback. Why are we still struggling for Pernosa? What? Why are we still struggling for Pernosa? Why are we? Those brochas. We shouldn't be struggling for Pernosa anymore. Ah. Okay. Anyway. Now the answer is because we sin. And uh, that's when we, whatever. Anyway. Um, so therefore, Yitzchak gave the blessings of Esau, which is the blessings of Ben Yosef, material success to subdue the material world. He wants to giving it to Yaakov, which means that Yaakov took over the patriarchate of Esau. So now Yaakov is doing piggyback, which means he's doubling up. So that's the concept now, that Yaakov does the job of Esau. Therefore, Yaakov now leaves, he goes to Lovin, because since he took the job of Esau, we know that he became the Ishsodeh, man of the field, just like Esau. So now he had to go into the field, which means to subdue evil by resisting the temptations and evil of the world. And he has to go to the house of Lovin. That's why. I'm skipping an enormous amount of stuff, but you get the gist, the, uh, it's called the high points of the story. You see? So he goes to Lovin in order to do the job of Esau. And of course, since he took over the job of Esau, he gets to marry Leah. Because Leah is the perfect wife of somebody who's involved in the Gvura aspect of Tferes. There you are. So he, not only does he marry Rachel, but he also marries Leah, which was, of course, destined to uh, be to um, Esau. So, so far, everything makes sense. Great. Okay, <clears throat> but however, we know that no man can take over two jobs. Now, there's something very important to remember. Yitzchak, when he gave the brochus to Yaakov, fine, Yaakov leaves. In walks Esau, and Esau says, okay, here I am. So, of course, Yitzchak looks at him and says, excuse me, who are you? Me, here I am. He says, what do you mean? I am Esau, your Bechor. And I'm coming to get my blessing. So Yitzhak realized, obviously, that the hand of God, the hand of God was involved with all of this stuff. Because obviously, it could never be, had the Rebbeinu not set this up. That's why Yitzhak was blind, so he wouldn't see who he was giving, and, and so on. That's why he had to be blind, or else he would have obviously never done this. He would have given it to Esau. And of course, the, if you really think about it, that Yitzchak was incredibly frightened. It says, it says, which is always interesting. You know, if you were deceived, your, your reaction isn't fear. It's enormous rage, right? So why was Yitzchak so frightened? Because he realized that had he given the brachas of Ben Yosef to Esau, that means the Russia would have been able, instead of the Mesach and the Bria, to correct creation, he would be mechalkal de Bria, because an Av has this incredible access to creation, and if he doesn't rectify it, then he destroys it. 
So imagine an Ov that's a Russia. We can't even begin to imagine what that would have been. And that's what the Chorod Geduila is. But at the same time, that's why he was incredibly frightened, because he realized he almost destroyed the planet. That's how powerful an Ov is that sins, you see. In any case, uh, Yitzhak felt terrible because he loved Esav. It says, He loved Esav for whatever reason, but he, he loved it. Not only as his son, whatever. And he was a tremendous kibbutz of Aim, Esav, and so on. Honor your father and mother and so on. So Yitzhak winds up giving him an incredible blessing. And we begin to understand the story of Esav. And the reason why I go into this now from a biblical sense is because this has tremendous repercussions in today's times. <coughs> That's why I'm doing this. You have to understand the background of Esau. What Yitzhak felt is terrible for Esau, even though he realized that obviously Esau is a Russia. So he gives Esau, first of all, a bracha. So at least he gave his son a bracha. Fine. But the second thing he says is that you will become wealthy. Why? Because the rule is that whoever the, the Roshim sends Whoever the Rabbi Shem, uh sends to punish the Jews and therefore do the tikkun to Yisurin, do the rectification through suffering, right? That person or that nation will become fabulously wealthy and become a world power. In fact, if I'm you take a was that? I think that's the Gemara getting. Yeah, what well, the Rabbi says, you know, you've made me a shamish to to make all these so nations that, wealthy. Where, where, where went to, uncles went and called up all these people and they said, yeah, better than a shepherd you to become rich. Yeah. In any case, so, uh, so therefore, what he did was interesting. He told Esau, you will be the one that will correct Yaakov if he sins. If he rebels against God, you're the guy that's going to bring him back by enormously, by, by making him suffer, you see, which is interesting. So the first thing he did with that bracha is he gave a blessing to, Yitzchak, uh, to uh, Esau. The second thing he accomplished was he made him fabulously wealthy. Because if the Jews are now subject to Esau, right, then Esau and his nation, Edom, Rome, Christianity, Western civilization, they're the top of the world, you see. Because the Russian will not allow a nation that is of low stature to subjugate his people. You know, it's tremendous bizoyan, embarrassment. So therefore he gave Esau tremendous wealth because Esau is now in the position of correcting the behavior, so to speak, by punishing uh, enslaving Ya'aved, as I mentioned last week, to enslave um, uh, Yaakov. So but what he also them. did, what? Yisrael connected them in a sense. They, yeah. They're not connected before that. Yeah. So this is, but it's interesting, because what Yitzchak said was very interesting. He didn't say that you'll enslave. He said when Yaakov will rebel, then you will do it. Which means that Yitzchak Reestablish the ability of Asaph to do the tikkun. Is it? Yeah, but it's tikkun. He he reestablished Asaph's ability to do tikkun by saying that when he rebels, you're going to come and uh, assist him by punishing him. But he's connecting his ability of power over Yaakov by Yaakov sinning. But that's exactly what the tikkun is: is to punish him. So he will have a kapara through the sin. So what Yitzchak did is he gave Esau the ability of tikkun, not as powerful as before, but Esau is now still in the posh of tikkun. That's what it means. So the Aved, he will enslave him, is really 
the concept of tikkun. Because that's what Yitzhak did by tying the two together. You see? Very important concept is that Yitzhak gave him again the power of tikkun. Very interesting. Because that's his direct statement, his connection. Okay. Now, therefore what happens, of course, as I said, is that so Esav walks away with this brocha, that he's involved in the ability to assist ya- Yaakov to do the tikkun. That's really what he told him. You're going to be his assistant, which is exactly the nevuah. Ya'aved or ya'avoid. But in the end, he, Esav will assist uh, um, uh, Yaakov to do the tikkun. So that's really the reestablishment of Esav to do the tikkun, to the bracha of Yitzchak. In any case, therefore Yaakov now takes over the job, as I said. He marries Rachel uh, Velea and so on. Right, and he, and he goes through the whole trials and tribulations with Lovin to resist the evil of Lovin. We know that. And finally, but no man could do what? Take one job, two jobs, because the personality of Yaakov is truth, whereas the personality of Esau is taiva, right? Because you have to be drawn to the physical world in order to subdue it, to withstand it and to subdue it. So therefore the job had to be given, or half of the job of Esav, so Yaakov took over one half. So he went into the house of Lovin, but the job of the taiva, that job where you really become much more physical in a certain sense, he couldn't do. So therefore what the Barsham did is the incredible thing, he created a contingency plan where the other half of Esav's job would be given to somebody else. Who was that? Yosef. He couldn't do meaning he was just a barber. He couldn't do it because you need a different personality. The personality of Esau is not the same as the personality of Yaakov. It's for him it wasn't a challenge. That's what he couldn't do. Well, he, ya- Yaakov is Emes. And Esau is Taiva. <coughs> and Gaiva. You know, all the real physical, you know, uh, satanic uh, Yetzirah, as they say, Yetzirahs, you know. Was the Yetzirah of, of Yaakov is truth, falsehood, and so on. So he could only do a certain amount, but, he, but the other part of Esau he could do by going into the house of Lavim, but he can't do all of it. So what he did, so what the Barsham did is he raised a Shevet, who called Yosef, to the stature of a Chatziov, to be half a patriarch, you see. So Yosef is really a Chatziov. That's why he's greater than all the other Shvatim. And that's why he's able to have Menashen of Ryan. How could a Shevet, a tribe, have another tribe? You have to be an Ov. You have to be a patriarch to do this. You have to have the Nishom of a patriarch, you see. Therefore, Yosef, who has that, can have two tribes called Benash and Ephraim. Once you understand the real narrative, there's so much that's answered, but beautifully understood, you see. And then, of course, we know, of course, that once Yitzchak, uh, excuse me, uh, once uh, Yaakov knew that the job it will be given to Yosef. So he, that's why he said, hey, we're out of here. It says, Kasher Yolad Rochel. When Rochel gave birth to Yosef, then uh, uh, Yaakov went over to Lovin and says, okay, I'm leaving you. I'm out of here. You see? Because now he can give it over the rest of the job to Yosef. And therefore you need Yaakov and Yosef to destroy or to vanquish Esau, to do the job of Tikkun of Esau. 
You see, that's why it says, Yaakov and the house of Yaakov will be fire, and Yosef will be the flame of that fire, and Esau will be the straw, the stubble. They will do the tikkun of Esau. You see? Therefore, we now understand that Yosef is going to take over the job, and that's why Yaakov had to teach Yosef everything he learned. Why did Yaakov, the question is, why did Yaakov go to the house of Shem Ve'eva after he left Yitzchak? He said, 14 years, why didn't he go straight to Lovan? Because it's one thing to learn, to know Torah, to do the Kedusha. It's another thing if you have to go into the house of the Sultan, you need a whole different type of Torah. You see? So he learned by Shem Ve'eva for 14 years, and he knew Yosef was somehow get involved, so he taught him everything that he knew in Shem Ve'eva, he taught to Yosef. You see now? You understand what's going on here, and why? Okay. So now Yosef, of course, we know, is going to take over the job of Esau, and therefore Yosef himself has to go into what? The Klippa, which is the Tumah. That's why Yosef had to go to Egypt, because Egypt, again, is Sadeh, but the worst type of Sadeh. You see, so therefore, as a result of that, this is what happened. <laughs> Meanwhile, Yaakov, right, he came out successful, and he fought the Malach. The Malach was a Sutton, Rashi says, right? And that Sutton is the Sar, is the angel of Esau. Because since Esau had to subdue the Sutton, right, that became his Malach. The problem is, if that's your Malach, and you fall, then he will take charge of you, which is what he did. So Yaakov fought that Malach, which of course is the Sultan. He fought him. And a man fought with Yaakov. That's where the Torah describes it. Very short episode. Boy, what an episode. And that, of course, that, that man turned out to be a Malach. You know, and he said, release me. And he said, no, I won't until you bless me. And he didn't so on. Uh, but he had to fight the Sarai Shal Because the job of an Ov is to destroy the Sultan. So he had to fight the Malach himself, in that sense, to destroy his, his uh, shrita, his ability on the world. Fine. Why am I saying all this? Because I'm leading up to this story called Dina. Dina is a very important story. Uh, I need a Chumash. Can I go a Chumash there? Yeah? In any case, so we are now at the point Yeah, we are now at the point So he fights the Malach, wins. And before we get to the story of Dina, because the story of Dina is a very important story in terms of Esau, um, Yaakov leaves and he now meets Esau. See, he meets Esau. Esau is coming with him, 400 guys. And Yaakov is very afraid because Esau has a tremendous mitzvah called Kibbut of Aim. And Yaakov is afraid of the enormous merit, Tzchus, that Esau has because of his kibbutz of Aim, honoring father and mother. Okay, 
So he meets Esav. And before he does that, he takes Dino and he puts it into a chest. He was afraid Esav was going to take a look at Dina and say, hey, I want to marry her, right? And Yaakov is not going to give Dina to Esav, right? So therefore he hides her into a chest, right? So Yaakov, uh, so Esav never sees her. And okay, you know, and then he, Esav actually kisses him and he says, uh, they make up. They basically make up. So, we come now to a tremendous medrash, where the medrash says that the Rebbe said to Yaakov, he said to him, but he, this was the din, you don't want to give Dina to Esav? What do you mean by hiding her? You need to allow Esav to look at her. So on the contrary, give her in marriage to Esav. Okay? And therefore, you don't want to give Dina to Esav, then you will be punished that Dina, instead of marrying Esav, Dina will be forcibly taken by Shechem, which of course is a rape, and so on, and that caused terrible problems, of course, to Yaakov. It was terrible problems. Uh, and then uh, they would have, Shimon and Levi would have to go and slaughter out the whole city, which would endanger them to the entire world. I mean, it's a real episode in the life of Yaakov. Well, we have to understand something very, very strange. Understand something. Imagine if uh, the mafia kingpin, you know, let's say John Gotti, Carlo Gambino, if you, if you know who these guys are, you know, Joe Bonanno, I mean, these guys are the mafia kings, and so on, you know. Imagine they want to do a shidduch with you. Would you marry your daughter off to John Gotti? I don't think so, you know. I mean, we're very scrupulous about who we take for our son-in-laws. The last guy you want to take is a mafia kingpin. Capo, what? A chuva? No, let's assume they didn't do chuva. Let's assume John Gotti drives up to your house, right? You know, and he's got a whole bunch of lieutenants with him and all the other guys, right? And they come in with their beautiful suits, right? With their packed guns and so on, you know? And they say, you know, we, we take a look at your daughter. We like her, you know? We want, John Gotti wants to marry your daughter. He wants to be your Adam. He wants to give you real nachas. Right? He's going to treat her good, you know? You'd say, excuse me, you know? You have to talk very careful because, you know, you want to make sure that you can survive as a father-in-law to this, right? But imagine you have John Gotti as a son-in-law, you know? You know, and so on, you know? Of course you wouldn't do this. Would anybody blame you for not marrying your daughter off to John Gotti? Of course not. What? John Gotti would. Anyway. So the question is, how can the Bosham have kindness to Yaakov Avinu? I mean, Esav can make John Gotti look like kindergarten. I mean, Esav was the arch Russia. I mean, he was an, first of all, he was incredible. He was a brilliant man. We're looking at Esav, who you could not tell the difference between him and Yaakov for 13 years. And believe me, Yaakov had an illusion head. A brilliant mind, you know? So Esav was a phenomenal mind. And when he committed a crime, it was the crime, you know, and so on. You know, an incredibly resourceful, brilliant person, you know, who's evil, you know. So the question is, how can God have tarumas to Yaakov because he doesn't want to marry 
his daughter off to the mafia kingpin. I mean, what? Doesn't make any sense. Now, there are people who try to deal with this because it's a mind-boggling medrash, right? And Yaakov was punished. This isn't theory. Dina was given away to somebody else forcibly. So people want to say it, 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 it's, it's a Musa translation. You know? Why? Because um, it's not that, of course, nobody expected Yaakov to give his daughter to, uh, to Esau. But he should have felt bad at least. You see? So because Yaakov didn't at least feel bad, you know, he didn't have that sensitivity. Therefore, he, uh, what he called, uh, the Rebbein had complaints, Tarumas to him. Okay, got that? Okay, listen, gotta say something. Or else the Medrash is a Tmiya. It's astounding that Medrash, you know? So that's the misunderstanding. However, the truth is, if you really think about it, there's a whole different way of understanding that. And in the end, the Rebbein is right. How could that be? Think about this. What did the Rebbein want? I mean, Esav was an of formally. Right? And he still had the ability of Tikkun. Right? Esav was is one of the greatest enemies of Yaakov. Do you have any idea the problems that this man has caused the Jewish people? You know, whether he helped him or not, I mean, you talk about pogroms, right? You talk about the Christian butcheries. For 2,000 years, the inquisitions, the expulsions, the pogroms, right? The crusades. It, it's beyond belief what Esav has done. What was that? The Holocaust, sure, everything, you know. Um, it's beyond belief what, what Esau and his descendants have done to Yaakov, you see. So what did the Russian want? What the Russian wanted was an incredible thing. He wanted Yaakov Ovino to give Dina to Esau. Because the Russian knew that if you take Dina and give him to Esau, she will make him into a Balchufa. Question is, fine, you know that, but Yaakov doesn't know that. I mean, he's thinking about this and saying, Excuse me, I gave it to John Gotti, right? So the Bosham knew, fine, but Yaakov doesn't know. But the answer is, he should have known. How? That's where you begin to see what's the problem here. Uh, Asaf is a Russia, why? Part of the reason because he is connected to the Sultan. And the, he, he is under the influence and the incredible temptation of the Sultan himself. You know what Yetzirah that is? You know? And as great as Esav is in Neshama, which obviously had incredible Neshama, to fight the Sultan, the Chvoidu Biatzme, as they say, in his full glory, is incredibly difficult. You see. Therefore, what happens if Yaakov can subdue the Sutton. What happens? Then the hold that the Sutton has over Esau is diminished. You realize that? So therefore, when Yaakov fought the Malach, who was the angel? The Sutton. He fought him and he won to the extent where even the Sutton had to bless him and he called him Israel. That means Yaakov should have realized that he had subdued the Sutton, which means he had taken an enormous amount of power away from the Sutton. So therefore, that should have told him that the connection between the Sutton and Esau is severely diminished. Oh, wow. 
if it's diminished, so the Yitzhahara is not as big or as tight with Esav as he used to be. Uh-oh, it's looking good for Esav. Maybe. That's the first idea. The second thing Yaakov should have realized, and I'm, this is a pshat that I'm telling you, which I believe to be true, is that Esav was supposed to kill Yaakov. That's what he's come for with men. Right? <coughs> Instead, it says that Esav kissed him. He met him, and he kissed him. And Rav Shimon Bar Yechoi says that that kiss was genuine. What does that tell you? That he's not coming to kill him. Right? He changed his mind. Why? I, Esav, had tremendous complaints that Yaakov stole his blessing. Apparently, something changed. What changed? Because the hold that the Sultan had on Esav is now substantially reduced. So that's the second thing Yaakov should have realized. Why is this guy kissing me? And the third thing is Esav says to Yaakov, Let that which is yours be yours. So Rashi says that this meant that Esav said, Rashi says that Esav said, he admitted that the blessing that you stole from me, it's yours, I don't need it. You take it. I won't be angry at you anymore for that. What an admission. It's astounding. So therefore, these three things meant that Esav was right next to the door of Tshuva. The Sultan was diminished. He kissed him. And he actually forgave him. And he said, the blessings are yours. I'm okay with that. And meanwhile, he's coming with 400 men to kill him because of that. Therefore, Esau is at the point of tshuva. But how do you get him to do tshuva? I'll tell you how. You get him to do tshuva with a girl like Dina. Dina is no ordinary girl. You know. It seems very similar to Reb Yechon and Rishlokish. Yeah, what? It seems very similar to Reb Yechon and Rishlokish. Dina is no ordinary girl. Why? Who is Dina? Let's, let's understand who Dina is, you know? <clears throat> First thing you have to understand, that who is giving birth to Dina? Leah. But Leah really should have had Yosef. Leah was pregnant with Yosef. But Leah realized she already has six tribes. If she gives birth to Yosef, who is the seventh tribe, right, then the two maidservants, Bill and Zilfor, each one has two. So she has seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And that means Rachel will have only one. She'll be even less than the two maidservants. So therefore, Leah prayed, I mean, the koyach of Leah is incredible. She prayed that the child in her, which is Yosef, should be turned to a girl. Who is that girl? Dina. So she gave birth to Dina, and then Rachel, of course, had Yosef. Yeah, but wait a minute. That means, Le- that means Dina is a female Yosef. Right? She was Yosef. She became a girl. But that means she is a female Yosef. Perfect for Esau. Because if you remember, Esau was in the parsh of Yosef, right? Which is the, to go and destroy evil. And that's the parsh of Mashiach ben Yosef. So here Dina, who is in the parsh of, who is a, 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 a female ben Yosef, right? Certainly can influence Esau. And not only that, but Dina was Vatetze Dina. The Chazal called Dina Yatsonis. Dina was a very interesting girl. You know, she wasn't homebound. You know, she went out to, uh, to take the lyrics to see what's happening out there. Maybe to, she probably wanted to go and make Bali Tshuva. You know? 
What else you want to go see what the latest fashion is out there? No, I don't think Dina went out to check out, you know, what's new with the jewelry and the fashions in the world, you know, and so on. No, she want, probably wants to go out to, to spread the word of the Rosham. And that's the job of Yosef, to go into the world and to subdue it and to make Bali Tshuva, so to speak. So she was called a Yatsonis, just like Leah. But Tetze Leah, Leah was also Yatsonis, which means a sort of girl to go out and into the world. So Dino, who is a female Yosef, would have been a perfect consort, wife to who? To Esau, and she would have brought him back. Because anyway he was falling apart, the, uh, the something was gone. I mean, dimin severely diminished, he kissed him, right? He said, you can keep it. So all you needed was a Dino to finish Esau off. Isn't that interesting? That's what, unfortunately, Yaakov should have realized. And that's what the Moshim said. You don't want to give it to that? What do you mean? Think about what's happening here. Now, I want to tell you up front. We have no idea who Yaakov was. I'm just saying because clearly the Moshim held it against Yaakov. Without a medrash, we could never say that. But Yaakov made a mistake. That's the medrash. And the mistake was so severe that it meant that Dina who's a female Yosef, would be taken forcibly by Shechem. Just terrible. Too much incredible neshama like Dina should be taken by this terrible Oizvov Shechem. You see? So, you know, I, I just come because of the Medrash. So, we don't know. And now, why did Yaakov not see this? We don't really know. I suspect because he, he had a tremendous amount of anger at Esau for causing him so much sorrow, which he did. He had a flea you know, uh, Yitzchok and Rivka, which was the only real tzaddikim, I mean, incredible, because of the wrath of Esau. So Esau caused him a tremendous amount of problems, and so on. So maybe that clouded his judgment. We, we don't really know. We, 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 we don't know who Yaakov was. He was the greatest of the others. We have no idea what his motives were, why he didn't see it. But we do know that the Rabbanish had kindness then. That we do know. You know, so we can certainly clearly say that he made a mistake, period. But what was the mistake? And I just told you what he should have seen. And what he would have accomplished is incredible. Now, why did the merchant want Dina to marry? Okay, so he would have done tshuva. Fine. Okay, so you, miss, you messed up on somebody being about tshuva. So for that, you punish him with what happened with Dina? No, because here's what the merchant seemed to have wanted. Incredible. Take a look at this. One, Esav would have done tshuva. Right? That's what I'm saying. That's one. Number two, that means, right, that Esav would have been restored, not only as a tikkun, in the tikkun, where he was a tikkun, but from Yahweh to Yahweh, he would have been, it's a whole different tikkun process <coughs> that Esav would have supplied to Yaakov. Not only that, it would have removed the terrible <coughs> hatred and and suffering that the Jews suffered at the hands of Esau, because Esau is now from. Yes? Not only that, Esau is now back in the Pasha of Yosef, because he just married the female Yosef. That, it's not clear. But he would have been Yavoid, which is a whole different... Imagine if the Jews didn't have to go through the pogroms and the expulsions and the Holocaust, because there would be no Esau. These are all descendants of Esau. There wouldn't be that. You see? But not only that, if Dina had married Esau, what would have happened? Esau would have done tshuva, 
and then who would have been overjoyed? Yitzchak. Because the son that he loves is about tshuva. You have any idea what kind of kibbutz over aim that would have been for Yitzchak? If Esav would have restored, excuse me, if Yaakov would have restored Esav to tshuva, Yitzchak would have been unbelievably happy. That would have been an unbelievable kibbutz over aim that he made his father happy again. Wow. We can't even begin to understand what that mitzvah would have been to Yitzchak. Yes? Not only that, but between Esav and Dina, who would have been born? Osnas. Who married Osnas? Yosef. Hey, Yosef would have been Esav's son-in-law. That's not bad, right? Instead of John Gotti as a son-in-law, it would have been Yosef. And Yosef is the Yesod of Mashiach ben Yosef. Wow. I mean, take a look at this. What would have happened? What was that? What kind of team this would have been? Oh, what a team. Father and son. Right? Esav, who's in the parish of Yosef, Mashiach ben Yosef, because that's really who Yosef was, right? And so on. Uh, and, uh, and, and Osnas, that, because Osnas was the product of Shechem and Dina, but Osnas, who obviously was the consort or the, ma or the wife, the Zivug, the proper Zivug of Yosef, would have instead come from Esav and, 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 uh, and Dina. It's when you think about it, it's incredible. Look at all the things that would have happened. That's what the Bershom wanted. And who knows what the history of the Jewish people would have been had Esav done tshuva. It's a whole different history, obviously. So that was a tarumas. That's why it was so severe. Because what the Bershom obviously held knew that Yaakov had enough simonim, indicators, that Esav is going to do tshuva. And he didn't. He didn't see it or whatever. And therefore, all those incredible consequences that would have happened at Esav done tshuva is gone. You see? But the question is, wait a minute. Okay, he didn't make a bal tshuva, right? What's the point? Why does the Bershom have such concern about Esav? What is this? Because you see from the story of Dina, and that's why I'm bringing this here, that the Bershom wants Esav to do tshuva. He doesn't want to leave Esav. We think, ah, the Bershom, it's true that he says, it's Esav Sinesi, I hate Esav. But that's after he turned evil and he never talked did tshuva. But the Bershom is always looking to be matire Esav. Wants to bring him back. You see? And you see from the story of Dina how much the Bershom wanted to bring Esav back. Because in the end, Esav is a Masakin in, in the sense of assisting Yaakov to do the real Tikkun. That's what you see from this story, that the Bershom has concern for Esav to the extent where he had tarumus, tremendous complaints against Yaakov Avinu, and he punished him severely because he didn't bring Esav back to Tshuva. We're going to hold the, imagine what the history of Christ will have been without Esav, Edom, Rome, Christianity, and Western civilization. A whole different situation. That's why I bring this down. So what happened? Look at what the terrorist says. It's an incredible thing. The terrorist marames, what I just told you, the whole story, in one word. Yes. Where's the remus for this? <clears throat> Look at it says here. After they met, and Asaph said, okay, once we let's get together. So Jacob said, listen, I got a lot of children and cattle and all that. 
I'll go slow, we'll meet up someday. You know? Okay. So then the tourist says, listen what it says. Vayoshov, Vayomahu. And on that day, Vayoshov, Vayomahu, Esav. And Esav on that day returned. The Darkoi to his derech, Seiro, to Seir, because he lived in Seir. Wait a minute. He should have just said, and Esav returned on that day to Seir. What's this Ladarkoi? The Darkoi Horor. Tira says, and because Yaakov never took the opportunity, Esav returned to his derech, which is an extra word. What's the derech? What? He was on the borderline. Yeah. The terror says, I mean, in one word, the darkoi, the terror is already telling you that Yaakov made a tremendous mistake. You see? It should have just said, and Esav returned on that day to Seir. What do you mean, the darkoi? And Esav returned on that day to his way to Seir. His way isn't his, path, his road. You know, you're not talking about a GPS here. The darker means the darker he raw. He went back into his evil ways because he never did tshuva and so on. And therefore the Rabbanishim had, you know, obviously <coughs> tremendous agmas nefesh to the Rabbanishim. It's amazing. And that one word, the darker, is Marama's the entire story I just told you. What, what he could have, what it could have been. You know, that's what the Torah does. You know, it's amazing how the Torah does that. Anyway, but my, the reason why I bring this down is to show you that the Rabbanishim has concern for Esau. It's not Pashat, because Esau is, is also involved in Tikkun, and Rabbanishim uh, wants him to go from Yahweh to Yahweh, as I said, which is the Tahara of Esau. Rabbanishim wants that. That's where you see it clearly. Okay? Yes. Yes, he said it was somebody argues with him that he wanted to kill him, whatever, and he did whatever. But that—that's the other man, the other Yeah, the other one said, yeah. But but Rabbi Shimon Yechoi, the great Rabbi. Sure, sure. And the fact that Esau's heads and ears are pale, does that mean he still has an opportunity? Yeah, that—that was last week's share. The whole concept that you see, but the, the greatest of the Medrash that says he's going to turn his clothing to snow white. And what does that mean? Because the Bonshan, because Esav has a chilek in the tikkun, you know, and Yitzchak connected, incredibly, he connected Esav to Yaakov. He told him specifically, you're the guy that's going to set him straight. That's tikkun. And you'll be the agent. Very, very important idea. Now what happens? And I want to show you something very interesting. <coughs> now what happens? What happens now, of course, is Yosef takes over. I want to show you something really astounding. Yosef takes over. We know he got kidnapped down in Egypt. He's in prison for 13 years. And the brothers, <coughs> I mean, you, you talk about a, a person who's really ishsode into the field, but he's in prison. But Yosef holds on. He holds on tremendously to the Kedusha. But what's astounding is what the Torah is going to say about this. Now remember,
remember that Yosef now took over the job of Esau, which is to do what? Which is to subdue and destroy the Sultan. So therefore, in a certain sense, he, in a certain sense, is connected to the Sultan, because that's how you destroy him, right? So Yosef goes down, he's in prison for many years, he finally gets out of, he's in prison, he, actually, before prison, he's in the Fatifa's, uh, what do you call it, house, and so on. And uh, all of a sudden, the Torah says, again, it's astounding how the Torah's marama is. And it says, uh, and it was after these things that he was kidnapped and so on, right? And his master's wife, Fatifa's wife, took a look at Yosef and she said, I want him, right? So she obviously tried to tempt him. And, and Yosef is sitting there, obviously trying to resist. But obviously it was, must have been, which we'll see in a minute, very difficult and so on. So Yosef says, how can I do this and betray my master? What a tzitkus, you know? I, I, you know, his sensitivity toward Hakar Satoiv, that's really what it is. It's all great. He says, how can I do this? I mean, he's the guy who's giving me employment and, and so on and so forth. You know, he could have been a slave. He could have been a slave in the, the terrible, you know? You know? And then look what the terrorist says. It's incredible. And it was as this day, and Yosef went to the house, to do his job. Right? Because he was the he was the manager of the entire house. And there was no man of the household in that house. And then of course she wanted to again tempt him. She grabbed his baggage and so on and so forth. Okay. But we know that the job of Yosef is really to do the tikkun or replicate the job of Esau. Which would have meant that the Yetzirah of Yosef is the satanic or the satan himself. Where do you see that? Take a look. You remember I said that Yosef, when Yaakov fought the Malach, Ishimoi, and it was a man who struggled with him? How does the Torah describe the Satan as an Ish, as a man? Why? Because when the Satan is in your psyche, he is called a man because he's in you trying to tempt you. Oh, look what it says. As this day, and he went to do his work. What was his work? Of course, the Poshup shot, the first narrative, is to be the manager. But last is Malachtoi to do his work, which means the work of Esau. The job that he took over to do the job of Esau, to do that job, Malachtoi, his work. Right? Now, we don't know what Malachtoi is. So it says, V'ein ish shoma boys, and there was no man of the household there in the house. Wait, wait, wait. It should have just said, the Einish Baboyas, and there was nobody else in the house. There was no man in the house. But it doesn't say that. It says, the Einish, and there was no man from the household there in the house. That's extra. Should have just, there was no man in the house. It says there was no man of the household in the house. Wait a minute. It's true there was no man of the household in the house, but there was another man, not of the household. That's the diok. Who's the man? The sotan. That's the setup. You see, the Torah by, by putting two extra words. You understand what I just said? And there was no man. It should have just said, and there was no man. Shamba boys in the house. Fine. Then we know he was alone. But it doesn't say that. It says, and there was no man from the household. 
from the Ansha Bias there in the house. What do you have to tell me that? Just say there was no man in the house. Because the tourists want you to learn out there was no man of the household, but there was another man not of the household. That's the implication. Who's that man? The man that fought with Yaakov, the Sutton himself. That means that this test was going to be the test of Esau. And he, st- he withstood it. And then, of course, he withstood it and so on and so forth. Because that was his job, you see. Umar, then, as a result of that, you want to say something? Umar says, Balakta means that he went last to What? He went last to Sadeiro. Umar says, he went to the Yeah, no, no. There, there, there's different shatam on that. The Benish Kai said the Shah was that he went, he tried to get his Taiba to the highest level in order to subdue the Taiba in order to massacre and all the Fine. That, that, that's all part of the pshat. But I'm saying, but the diak of all that is, that classes, I'm not, my, my, what I'm saying is, it doesn't come from classes, Malachtoyz. Yeah, oh, it comes from me, Anshabais, those two words are extra. And that, the Torah wants you to see the implication. Uh, anyway, so, he withstands, goes to prison, whatever and so on, and then of course the brothers come, and they, they don't suspect, they, they, they want to find Yosef, they're checking the whole Egypt, and where are they checking? They're going into the Bates Zoinus, because that's where they figure uh, uh, Yosef is probably destroyed, morally and ethically and so on, because he's in Egypt. Of course, they would never suspect that he's the Grand Vizier, he's a Viceroy. And then, of course, they find out, and Yosef says to him, I'm Yosef, I'm Yosef. And you should know that's the way, you should know all of this is ultimately what's going to be, where Ani Yosef means I'm Yosef, that people are going to be shocked. Your Mashiach bin Yosef? You? Like, what are you doing in a house of power? Of power? You're the last guy in the world. Uh, that's the way the Giloy, that the Bansham orders the whole uh, revelation of who Mashiach is in such a way where it's completely concealed. <coughs> and in the end, people are shocked that this is Mashiach bin Yosef. Ani Yosef. And they're all looking at him astounded. Not just because they feel guilty or because they kidnapped him, but, but it's like, you're Yosef? Incredible. But what does Yosef do? And now we begin to see something very important. <coughs> uh, what Yosef does, and you begin to see, in many ways, this foretells what will be. Yosef is in Egypt. He's the viceroy. Yosef is in prison. He's taken out of prison. And he's put in front of Paroi. And Paroi makes him the viceroy, which itself is an astounding concept, which I'm not going to get into. Just because he gave me economic advice, you make a guy a viceroy because of that? I mean, Yosef was as powerful, almost as powerful as Paroi. And you have no idea what Pharaoh was in Egypt. It was like they treated him like a god. And if he's Shani, if he's a second to Paroi, could you imagine the power and the authority and the stature of Yosef? But let me ask something. What did Yosef do with that stature? He was Matar Egypt. What does a guy do who's a tzaddik like Yosef, who has the power almost of a pharaoh? He brought Egypt into Tahara. Exactly. It was astounding what he did. It wasn't he just saved him Egypt economically by giving him a lot of grain. There's no question that he tried to raise Egypt morally and ethically because he had that power. And he's Yosef to change the clipper. So therefore, what do we see? That Egypt, which is the first shibud of Klai Yisrael, had a tahara, had a 
about purification. Isn't that interesting? And Yosef was brought that tahara. And if you want to understand what the nature of that tahara is, you know what that did? In Egypt, Israel experienced a tukufa, a time that they have hardly ever experienced before in terms of the Torah and You know where you see that? Because it says, Vayechi Yaakov, and Yaakov lived. So they dash, and it should have said, and Yaakov dwelt in Egypt. Yaakov lived in Egypt 17 years. So the Chazal say that the life of, that Yaakov lived for the first time, which means he was completely immersed in Torah, together with all his sons, the Shvatim, together with all his grandchildren, his Enochlech, because Yehuda went and made in Goshen a whole yeshiva. Could you imagine the Tahara, the, the incredible Torah that was going on in Egypt under the nose of the Egyptians? Uh, we're not talking here about a yeshiva, an agav. It says, Vayechi Yaakov, and Yaakov experienced a, 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 a renaissance of Torah. It was almost like he had never experienced it before. No problems. All the tsars were solved. Yosef was alive. Everything was fabulous. Who knows what madrega, levels of kedusha, Torah, that Yaakov experienced with his sons and with all the children. That's really what it is. In other words, we see there was a, there was a, a, um, a, uh, an of, uplifting of Torah and kedusha in Egypt. But how could that be? Because Yosef also raised Egypt. Because that's what he would do. Hey, if you have the power of a Yosef, remember, with Parasetim, the only thing different between you and me is I have the chair and you don't. That means Yosef was, had unbelievable authority. Much greater than you can imagine. It's, it's almost an absolute ruler. And therefore what he would certainly make he would take Egypt, which is a terrible country before, and he would raise them ethically and morally and spiritually. Oh, wait, wait, they collapsed. But in the time of Yosef, Yosef did an incredible thing for Egypt. And you see what he did for Egypt just by looking at Vayichi Yaakov. Uh, you see, so what do you see? Is that Egypt contributed to the elevation and the spirituality of the Jewish people. That's what you see. Because it took place in Egypt. They ate the bread of Egypt. Maybe that's why the Bansham said, in Ekev today, do not hate a Ger. Right? Because you were also Gerim. Where were we Gerim? Right? You were Gerim, right? By the time, at the time of Yosef, the Avoida didn't start yet. And therefore they treated you incredibly. Where the Torah was able to sp and grow to incredible heights under the rule of Egypt. How did that happen? You can't do that in Egypt. Not if they're in Avedi Zara. And they're in Tuma. They would never have allowed this. And the answer is, because Yosef changed Egypt. Egypt became a tremendous, I'm not saying it wasn't, you know, perfect, but it changed. And in that climate of change, Jews were able to incredibly elevate themselves. And that tells you, and by the way, when the Bansham tells Yaakov uh, Avram Avinu, <coughs> he tells him, your children will be there 400 years and so on, and your, your children will be Gerim, 
and they will serve them and they will afflict them. But the first, there was three, there are three kind of situations. The first situation is What the Bershom wanted is that the Jews should remain gerim, not assimilate, and remain gerim and to withstand the temptations of Egypt, whatever that was. Okay? And then if they don't and the Jews slip, then the Egyptians are going to begin to punish them, just like the old business with Asa, right? And then if they keep slipping the Jews, then they will begin to persecute them, which, by the way, happened in the last 80 years by Amoros Chayim. Um, but when was the Tekufa Vigeri Yezarachal? When? You see? It was in the time of Yosef, when the Jews were in Egypt, and the Jews were able to remain Gerim, which means sojourners, strangers, where they were able to remain Ruchnius, tremendous Ruchnius. That was the time. The problem was, we know in Shemois, that the Jews began to check out the rest of Egypt, right? <coughs> and they slipped, and then they fell into all the way into the Mem Tesharitumo. But what's important, which we see, is that this Tekufa, is the Tekufa, this period of time of Yosef, is the period of time of Geyizaracha, that they will be Gerim, and not assimilate, and do avoid the Zorah, you see. And that Yosef clearly would have elevated Egypt as much as he could, and uh, as a result of that, Yaakov had, and Yaakov and the Shvatim, and all the children, all the Jews, you know, had an unbelievable spiritual uh, um, uh, climate from which to grow. So you see, therefore, that if Tabonshan wants, and I believe, as I, we go back to today's times, there's a Tahara, that I believe that in a certain sense, maybe, America has, is going to have that Tahara, and they will provide a certain climate. You know, if Trump makes America great again, he will provide an incredible climate for the Jews. Because, you know, I, I, somebody just told me it was something remarkable. Besides Trump himself, has, uh, his, 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 his chief counsel, a guy, uh, Jason Greenblatt, who's an Orthodox Jew, and then his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and Ivanka, they're all from Eden. But somebody also told me that all of his kids are married to Jews. Believe this? It's like, wow, you know? All of his, uh, that's what somebody told me, that all of his other children, you know, the ones who are not re Jewish or whatever, they're anyway, they're all married to Jews. I mean, come on, it's like, a, you know, it's like a, a, a Jewish mishpocha, so to speak, you know? Uh, the question is, what's going on here? So I believe that if, if Trump wins, which I certainly hope he will, that the, the, the growth of terror will be tremendous in America, just like what Yosef did to uh, Egypt. Uh, in a certain sense, that will all snap in America and through that Tara process. And, uh, and that will be, uh, in many ways, uh, a, a beginning of a, a messianic idea. You know, I just have to tell you one thing which is interesting. Egypt, obviously the Jews slipped, and Egypt slipped, you know. But I, I remember I once, in 1985, I went to Egypt, to tour Egypt. And I went to uh, Giza pyramids, and I went to Luxor. Luxor's ancient Thebes. Thebes is where Pari and Moshe Rabbeinu was, by the way. It's called Upper Egypt. Upper Egypt is really South Egypt. So what happened was, is Luxor is the old Thebes. Thebes is the original capital of Egypt, Moshe Rabbeinu went to Thebes because that's where they were, not not where the, the Cairo. And that was 
Cairo, forget about Cairo. Cairo is lower Egypt. Um, but they were in upper Egypt and so on, you know. But I remember I was sitting, uh, I went to Egypt to visit the pyramids. And I remember I was sitting in one of the greatest temples of Egypt, called the Temple of Karnak. Today it's a ruin, but it's astounding to look at. And I remember I had attended a sound and light show. You know, it's a sound and light show where they show the lights and sound, and they project, uh, you know, lights, and they give the history of Egypt, you know. So I remember I said to myself, I don't understand something. Before the Russian destroys a country, he destroyed Egypt, you know. He basically always warns them. Like, you know, he warns Sadoim. Well, he didn't want Sadoim, but if there were ten Sadiqim and so on, you know. Actually, he didn't want Sadoim for a different reason. But he warned Nimveh. Why didn't he warn Egypt? Now, he did to Moshe Rabbeinu and so on, you know. But um, why, you could, you know, while you're punishing, you could warn. But usually the punishment warns before even begins any of the punishment, you know. So I, I wondered about that and I realized, first of all, Yosef himself was the, the Bershom wanted to raise Egypt. Before Egypt would descend into the Memtes, right, and the Jews would be there, Yosef raising Egypt itself is trying to help Egypt out of that mess, you know. But then I realized, sitting there in the Sound and Light Show, that he did warn them. Because before Moshe Rabbeinu ever came, right, there was a pharaoh called Akinaton or Iknahiton, whatever you call the guy, right? And he is famous in Egyptian history. He believed in only one god, the sun god, whatever. He believed in one god, the sun god. He's a famous guy. And he was a pharaoh. I mean, well, what he did is he ripped out all the Avodah Zorah, you know what that is? Only a pharaoh could get along, you know, because Egypt was steeped in Avodah Zorah. He destroyed all the temples. He moved his whole palace, everything, the whole capital, to, I forgot the name of the, uh, uh, the, the city, you know, and he made everybody worship one god. Now, between one god, it's, not a, it's only a skip, a hop, and a jump to believe in, in one god who is not the sun, but there is only one god. Like Avraham Avinu also said, maybe the sun. Then he realized the sun sets, and it has to be a bunch of, not the sun, obviously, somebody controls everything and so on. Uh, you know, and he did that to Egypt. Not only he did that, but he, he made that realization to a, a pharaoh. And a pharaoh was incredible. He, he, he destroyed all the temples and the priests, you see? So therefore, Egypt had a chance for tshuva, which is interesting. And this happened before Moshe Rabbeinu came. Interesting. So what happened? So I think it was his son, I think it was his son-in-law. His name is King Tut. If you ever hear of King Tut? The 10-year-old? It's 17-year-old. Famous, his name is... That's why the said that I know, that's Freud. Tut and Common. His name is Tut and Common. King Tut. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, he's got a whole, yeah, ridiculous, yeah. Ah. But anyway, uh, Sigmund Freud. But anyway, uh, so King Tut or Tut and Common uh, I, I saw his treasure. I was in the Cairo Museum. I mean, he's got more gold than Fort Knox. I mean, it's just incredible. And this guy was a boy king. I think he died at 17, you know, and so on. So I'm trying to figure out what? Died at 17. He died at 17, yeah. So I asked myself, why did the guy die? Because I, when I later on, I read that he restored all the Avoid Zora that his father-in-law, I think, uh, 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 Aknahiton, his father, what? Yeah, well, they, they're different pronunciations of the name. I see that, Iknahit, Naknahit, Akniyahat, Akniyahat, and whatever the guy's name is, right? He brought it back. He brought it back. 
right? And so you undid the Hasra, the attempt of the Barsham to raise Egypt. Because had they believed in one God, and Moshe Rabbeinu would have come and said that God, it would be much easier for them to accept one God, because they as it, as it is, they believe in one God. But like this, they had a whole pagan, you know, business, and that's why Paro said, "Who's your God?" And, and so on. So therefore, the Russian was trying to help Egypt to let the Jews out and give them a warning before, and King Tut restored it, and therefore the Russian killed them at seventeen, you know, with all that gold and so on and so forth and so on and uh and um uh so i uh, while i was sitting there listening to the sound and light show of the history of egypt that i i, I realized that it's interesting i should to realize in the middle of a sound show uh, and light show and so on <clears throat> but you see one thing that uh, the bunch doesn't want these umasoilam to be with shoyim. he wants to retire them the problem is they don't want uh, and so on you know <clears throat> so i like i showed you so therefore you see by egypt by yosef that he was matar them, except they, they slipped back, and unfortunately the Jews also slipped into the Memtes and so on, you know. And like I said, now before Moshe Rabbeinu came with the whole, to get Yitzhak Mitzrayim, he also raised Egypt, at least the belief of one God, and even destroyed all their temples. Gewalt, what else do you have to do for these guys? Send them a telegram, uh, you know, that the bunch of them exist and so on, and they still went back. So I believe we're about to witness the same idea. Well, there will be a Tahar of America in order to help the Jews usher in a tremendous Tekufa of Torah, which in many ways is the beginning of the end, which I will talk about next week. And I want to hear something. What's this year called? Tov Shin Ayin Vav. Yes? 5,776? Yes? Do you ever notice that Tov Shin Ayin Vav, if you take away the Tov, the Shin Ayin Vav, jumble the letter and it spells Esav doesn't it? So the tough is Tikkun Esav. Tov Shin Ayin Vav. Ayin Shin Vav. Tov Shin Ayin Vav Esav. And tough is Tikkun. Interesting. Anyway, so um, this is anyway what I want to say, which is the history of what the Bosh wants to do with, uh, with the Esav and so soon with Esav more than anybody else, but he even did it with Yosef and, and Egypt and so on. And he does warn, because in the end the Russian doesn't want Mishushoyim, even on the nations of the world. He wants them to be good. He wants them to help the Jews do the Tikkun, you see. So I believe that's about to happen, hopefully. Brother Kessie, did you correct the notion? I, I'm, I'm not sure if I read or heard someplace that when Mashiach comes <clears throat> to Egypt, or parts of it will have the same status as, as Eretz's role, the actual land. Well, now that's where the, the Russian is going to change, where the whole Yushalayim will be like, the whole Eretz will be like Yushalayim. The whole Yushalayim will be like the, the base of Mikdash. And then the whole Eretz Yisrael will be like Yushalayim. And the whole world will be like uh, Eretz Yisrael. I mean, that's, that, yeah, they say that. No, no, no. You know. I mean, if, if you look in today's Pasha, which is incredible, it says the borders of Eretz Yisrael, Nahapras, Euphrates. That's Iraq. It's incredible. Well, the Muslims at the borders of Israel will be the Euphrates. Euphrates and the Tigris, that's Iraq. Wow. Can you imagine how big Eretz Israel will be? And so on. But anyway, so I believe that you can look at this election in that sense, in that way, that there will be a Tahar of America, 
And I certainly hope, and that will usher in the change in the status of Klai Yisrael in the sense that Torah will then grow in tremendous way, and that will be the beginning of the rehabilitation to receive the awe of the Mashiach, which next week I will talk about that, finally get to that.